This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Take a shoot that, shoot that. We're going in the middle. Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast on WFAN and Radio.com. Here's your host, Steve Lichtenstein. And hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the City Game podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com. Folks, the Brooklyn Nets are officially in the 2021 NBA playoffs. First team in the Eastern Conference to qualify. Not that there was any doubt or that it's a big deal. And neither was the fact that the Nets finally slayed the Raptors last night to do it. Though this one was in Tampa. Nets 113-102 victory was... Their first road win over that team in 12 tries, dating back to February 2015. Still, like I've been saying for a long time now, I'll take the Nets' chances against anyone when they feel the urgency of playoff games. I'll take their chances when they're at full health. And I especially love their chances when Kevin Durant is available for a full workload. I got a lot to go over in this show. But I'll be starting out with a discussion on how KD has been defying everyone this season to the point where I believe he is the team's most valuable player. I'll even put that up for debate with my special guest this week, a guy who actually has a vote in the Pro Basketball Writers Association's election for this season's awards. Mr. Brian Lewis of the New York Post is back on the City Game podcast, and he'll be joining me shortly. Expect he'll give you listeners the same no-nonsense takes he's always provided on this show. So sit back and relax. Should be a good listen. And if you feel like it was, I once again ask that you please subscribe to this podcast on the Odyssey WFAN platform or on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're downloading this episode. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please feel free to also send me some comments in the review section. So, you know, like most of you, of course, I've been well aware of Katie's brilliance from afar, you know, from watching select games on TV in the playoffs. We all know about his two NBA Finals MVPs and his 2014 league-wide MVP honor. And he's a legit scoring machine. You know, one day, you know, I might even put him over Michael Jordan as my personal subjective greatest scorer of all time. But, you know, watching him up close every night, what he's been doing this season, like I said before, it defies logic. Remember when we were all told that 
everyone who comes back from Achilles surgery experiences some loss of effectiveness. Folks, that simply hasn't happened here. Have you seen any reduced athleticism? Any rust? Even after all the stops and starts and fits due to COVID-19 protocols and assorted other ailments? I haven't seen it. I'd argue he's been even better this season than he was in Golden State two seasons ago. Yeah, you know, he's missed 36 games, but each time he comes back, he comes back with a vengeance. I mean, look at his numbers. His field goal percentage, three-point percentage, and effective field goal percentage would be career highs. When he's played 26 games, he shot under 50% in eight of them. You know, it's not like you know Zion Williamson where he's taking all his shots from five feet and in. You know, Durant scores at every level. He's shooting 44% on three-point pull-ups. That's according to NBA.com. You know, that's the best in the league among you know those who take at least two of those per game. Now, you know, the hip thing among fans these days is to chant MVP, MVP, you know, for their favorite guys at the free throw line. And I've heard it used at Barclays Center many times, you know, for each of Brooklyn's big three. You know, James Harden, you're certainly worthy before he heard his hamstring. Kyrie Irving has been hearing it more recently for putting the team on his back with KD and Harden out to keep this team afloat, amongst all the other injuries too. But you know who I think is really the Nets' most valuable player, using the phrase literally? That's Kevin Durant. No one on this team can replicate what he does on the court. Not only is he a walking bucket, his length allows Coach Steve Nash to get creative with his lineups in a way that just having Irving or Harden doesn't. KD, he defends one through five. He rebounds. He can facilitate as well as finish. He guarded Devin Booker for a good chunk of the Nets' victory over Phoenix on Sunday. Again, you know, it's just amazing to me. Not that he wasn't always great, but how before the season we're talking about, you know, how he might be like 80% of his former level and how even that would be special. I think I used the term peak Dirk several times. Oh, he's been better than Dirk Nowitzki. Anyway, you know, I asked Nets guard Tyler Johnson about how remarkable the Nets version of KD has been. And here's his response. Hi, Tyler. Uh, Kevin, you know, has come back from all his injuries and is at his peak efficiencies. It's quite unusual. I mean, how, how uh, you've seen him over the years. Is he better now than he used to be? I don't know. He's always been pretty damn good. Like, I don't, I don't know to answer your question. I was watching him. I watched a couple highlights of him yesterday, actually, uh, when he was in OKC and he was still a killer. So I, I really I can't answer your question to be honest, because to me, he's always been like the, 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 I, I would say the best scorer in, in, in the league, but he's just, I don't know. I think the the rest of his game and how he's, he's getting at, he doesn't force it um, has continued to grow as time has gone on. Interesting uh, response there from Nets guard, Tyler Johnson was come back from his own injury absence to give the Nets a bit of a spark off the bench. But Tyler wasn't the reserve guard everyone was talking about last night. That would be Mike James, 
who was about halfway through the 10-day contract he signed in the roster slot vacated by LaMarcus Aldridge's sudden retirement. I don't know, maybe James doesn't get signed if Chris Gioza doesn't earn his hand? Kind of ironic there, don't you think? Since, you know, they're both undersized point guards, play with good pace, have a knack for finding teammates off the dribble. Similar dudes, I'd say, though James is more experienced and probably a more effective scorer. Though I probably need to give him more than a couple of games to confirm that in my own mind. And last night in Tampa, though, the Nets absolutely needed James to morph into vintage Steve Nash. Because, you know, Irving just didn't have it. And boy, did James ever pull some rabbits out of his hat in the fourth quarter when Brooklyn was really dragging. Played the entire quarter, scoring 11 points and dishing out six assists to help the Nets pull away. And he basically ran the show, you know, with KD and Kyrie off the ball. Durant took two shots and got fouled on another attempt, while Kyrie was all decoy. No shot attempts, no free throws, no assists. It was the Mike James show. Crazy. And speaking of Nash, I asked James after his debut performance versus Boston last week if he ever tried to emulate his new coach's game. And well, I got an interesting response. And you take a listen. Hi, welcome to Brooklyn. Uh wanted to know as a point guard, uh, was Steve Nash a player that you once try to emulate and specifically what? Um, to be honest, I didn't appreciate him until I got older, to be honest. I think he was, uh, when he was really playing well, I didn't, I don't think I appreciate him as much as I do now watching back. I think, uh, when you get older and you look for different things and Steve wasn't as a flashy guy as maybe I think I would have liked when I was younger, uh, Passing-wise, he probably was, but just everything else, he was kind of more just, uh, you know, he got to his spots, made his shots, made the right reads. And, you know, when you're kind of younger, you don't pay attention to that stuff. You kind of pay attention to other things. So, uh, like I said, I don't think I appreciate him as much as I do now. And now it's just uh, the pace he plays with and just how he reads the game and just how uh, he made other people on his team just put him in the right spots and made him better. I don't know. I always thought Nash had a little pizzazz in his game. But, you know, that was 10-day signee Mike James on his new head coach. And, you know, I think, you know, speaking of Nash, jury's still out on him, I guess. I mean, you could tell he's definitely learning on the job. But, you know, we'll see how he handles the increased intensity of the postseason. You know, I do think Nash has an interesting philosophy when it comes to leaving players in games through foul trouble. Last night, Jeff Green played the last minute of the first half with three fouls, and then he picked up number five with about five and a half minutes to go in the game, and neither time did he ever come out. And I, I definitely remember Bruce Brown once picking up four fouls in the first half, and uh, I can't really recall if that happened any time some other game. Anyway, I asked Nash about that after the win over the Raptors, and here's the clip. Hi, Steve. Uh, your philosophy of letting guys play through foul trouble, whether it's Joe Early with three, Jeff Late with five, is that something that was, you know, a personal philosophy or something that the analytics showed you? A little bit of both. I think analytics for sure uh, drives some of that. Um, but, you know, we have, we have 
we have some guys that can step in and play if someone, you know, gets that extra foul that, that is, you know, one too many and you got to sit them down for a long stretch, you know, so, you know, we trust the guys a little bit. We also know it's a, it's a long game. We got a lot of rotations, so it's not the end of the world if a guy gets, you know, his fourth too soon or whatever it may be. So, uh, well, what's not ideal, I think we're willing to roll the dice a little bit, and I think analytics definitely leans in that direction as well. So I should correct my error. I mean, Joe Harris did sub out after picking up his third foul in the second quarter. Oh, my bad. Sorry, folks. But, you know, the point remains that you have to wonder about taking such risks in a big playoff game. I mean, maybe Nash is right. It won't matter because the Nets have so many bullets, you know, especially if they ever get to full health. I mean, even if one of the big three has to sit for an extended stretch, they still have two other All-Stars who can carry a team. And if Green had fouled out, well, Blake Griffin was available. Honestly, I'm hoping that Nash's rationing of Blake's minutes is simply part of the load management routine. Because, come on, I mean, he's certainly been performing like he's one of the top five on this team. He closes some games, like the win on Sunday. I mean, I really like that closing lineup. You know, with the heavy front court of KD, Green, and Griffin at the five. And with the Nets getting banged around on the defensive boards last night, I kind of wondered why Nash didn't go back to that configuration. I guess going with a shorter eight-man rotation and leaving DeAndre Jordan to rot on the bench kind of forced Nash into managing the game a certain way. But look, you know, I've talked a ton in the past few episodes about how impressive Griffin has been by buying into being a true glue guy, not only sacrificing his offensive numbers, but sacrificing his body by focusing on setting brick wall screens, diving for loose balls, and taking charges. Since coming to Brooklyn from Detroit through the buyout market, he's taken a league-high 10 charges in 16 games. You know, I figured I'd go to Kevin Durant after the Phoenix win to ask about what Blake has brought to this team, and here's the clip. Hey, Kevin, first of all, good luck at the Oscars tonight. Uh, I want to ask about Blake Griffin and what you are seeing from him and how he's impacted the team. Well, his IQ is through the roof. He knows how to play the game of basketball on both levels. Uh, I mean, both sides of the floor and on all three levels on offense, you know, in the paint, um, can knock down that floater in the mid-range and can make threes now. So <clears throat> we just need Blake to continue to be aggressive to score the basketball and make plays. And tonight was one of those nights. And he's, he's getting comfortable each and every game. So, yeah, that was KD, who was indeed a double winner on Sunday by bringing home an Oscar for the short film he executive produced called Two Distant Strangers. And like I said, I could have gone to a couple of guys on the team for the Blake quote, but... I felt KD's was the best. Of course it was. And now, to talk more about KD and the Nets, let's bring in another staple of the City Game podcast, a terrific reporter from the New York Post, Brian Lewis. Here's my interview with Brian. Joining me now, folks, the terrific reporter for the New York Post, Brian Lewis, is back with me on the City Game podcast. Brian, thanks for giving me some time today to talk Nets basketball. Oh, no problem. So, you know, Brian, first I just want to mention to our listeners that we're recording this before the Raptors game. But, you know, I guess, you know, we got to talk about Kevin Durant. You know, he had quite a Sunday, huh? You know, the movie he executive produced won an Oscar. 
And, oh, yeah, you know, in his first game back, you know, he blistered the Suns for 33 points in 28 minutes. So my question, Brian, you know, how is it possible that after every injury, this guy seems to just keep getting better? I mean, going into the year, remember, we were all worried that he would never again be what he was after Achilles surgery. But he's more efficient now this season than he's ever been. How's this possible? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I think the only explanation is that he's he's a transcendent talent who works diligently on his game, and that game is not based on supreme athleticism. Um, he is a seven-foot guy who can shoot. And he's a sniper. I don't mean he's inconsistent. I mean he's he's got a remarkably repeatable delivery, and he's seven foot, and you can't block it. That's the only answer. Because generally speaking, you're right. Guys and gals get Achilles injuries, and they're not the same. He's not only come back, but he's been as efficient as he's ever been. Uh, and then he's had repeated interruptions this year whether it be hamstring or, you know, thigh or multiple, you know, COVID quarantines. Um, it doesn't seem to matter. He jumps right in and he doesn't take four months to get up to speed. He doesn't take four weeks. He doesn't take four games. The other night, he basically took four minutes. <laughs> four minutes. In the second half, yeah. And he was back up to speed. Yeah, I mean, you – he didn't even, Not even play. That. Like, if you remember, he came in with eight minutes left in the first half. And he didn't first, three, first three minutes, maybe they looked a little out of sync. And then last five minutes and a half, oh, yeah, all right. I, whatever rust I had, I, I scraped that off. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> they blistered them to the end of the half. It's, uh, it's kind of amazing. But when I asked Steve Nash about it, because I was amazed, and I asked, are you amazed? He said, no. <laughs> this is uh, this is Kevin. This is what I expect. He has shown that he can come back from long layoffs and not miss a beat and be red hot as soon as he steps on the court. So uh, that's true. That is shown to be accurate. Well, Greg Logan of Newsday, your good friend, he told me. I mean, I think he said he believes you have the honor this year of voting on league awards. Is that correct? Uh, yes. I, I'm not going to ask you where you're leaning there yet. It's too early. But if you're just talking about the Nets, mm-hmm. who's the most valuable player among the three stars? You know, all these injuries aren't going to magically disappear come playoff time. So right. of the three, who could the Nets least afford to go down? I just want to see if you agree with me. I think James Harden. I would say Durant because okay. he plays a position that, you know, they just can't replicate. Oh, that's true. If you, there is no, there is no replicating what he does. Um, that is true. There is nobody on the roster that can approximate that. Um, I, he's he's a unique individual. Um, now I suppose it goes back to. And I was thinking from the perspective of an award, I don't know how many games somebody has to play to be eligible for an award. Um, 
Well, so, yeah, I mean, you're we're not voting on this. It's just like because well, you brought it up, maybe you brought yeah, you because, looped it back in as I'm the voter. So I'm like, uh, can I vote for a guy? Yeah, I mean, because these injuries, like I said, these injuries, you know, they're not going to magically disappear. Is what I said is no, you know, someone could conceivably get hurt, just like Durant got hurt in the NBA Finals, and then what do you do? You're you're done. So uh, just <laughs> yeah, you're in a from that order, perspective, sort of certainly, you, yeah, I don't disagree with you at all. He's yeah. You can't replicate what KD does. Whereas with Harden, I mean, you do have an all-star point guard, as you saw last night, was 34, 12, and 6 mm. for Kyrie. Um, you don't have anybody that steps in for KD as a whatever, 4, 3, occasionally 5, and can give you, you know, 30 some odd points in 20 some odd minutes. And he guards, you know, he was on Devin Bookerless. I yes. love that front line that they used with Jeff Green and Blake Griffin and Kevin Durant. They used that for a good chunk of the fourth quarter. Uh, I, I do want to ask you about Griffin because he's been just so impressive to me. You know, what has stood out to you? Well, I mean, his willingness to do the dirty work. For one, and I, I'm not implying that he wasn't willing to do it before, but I mean, this is a guy who, you know, came into the league jumping over Kia's <laughs> and making all star games and being named all NBA. He's been the star of a team. And now he seems to take as much pride in taking charges in giving up his body, in going to the floor for a loose ball. He's probably the best screen setter, wouldn't you say? Yes, I would say so. In setting screens, I he takes as much pride in doing all of that dirty work as he does in, you know, hitting a three-pointer or in dunking, although he does obviously take a certain joy in – dunking after being told that he couldn't dunk. Um, <laughs> so he does take a certain amount of satisfaction, I think, in that. But yeah, the the, the dirty work that he's done um, that kind of doesn't show up on the stat sheet, that's been impressive to me. And frankly, it's needed on this roster. <laughs> it's also necessary on this roster. Yeah. So that has impressed me. And, you know, the way that he is quickly assimilated into the team and his basketball IQ is up there. Um, he made a pass to Joe Harris, you know, into the corner on Sunday, you know, it would have been a shame. It, it was a shame that Harris missed it. It was a wide open to he, he like right. did like a hook pass. Yeah. On a drive, you know, that's how, that's something James Harden does. He is an underrated passer. He is a very good passer. Hmm. I'm talking with Brian Lewis of New York post. So Brian, obviously, Injuries are a league-wide concern, not just in Brooklyn. Sure. You know, there's right now a lengthy list of stars currently on the sideline across the board. You know, I was talking with a friend recently. You know, this unusually condensed season obviously played a large factor in all these injuries, but it's not like the past few seasons were bastions of player safety. You know, is there a workable solution to this going forward? Well, I mean, one can only hope that next season won't be this condensed. Um, yeah, but think about all the people who were hurt last year. Yeah. You know, not just, like I said, not just in Brooklyn, 
but it's just, you know, are there too many games? Is, is there going to be a point where players and owners come together and they agree that, you know, we got to cut, we got to reduce revenue for the sake of player safety? Uh, I'm finding a hard enough time envisioning a world where the owners do that. Maybe in a time when the next uh, collective bargain, excuse me, the next television contract, I don't know when the, those negotiations begin, but you have to think that, you know, given the streaming options and available now that they can certainly uh, get a little bit of a windfall, maybe not the same as what was it? 2016, but you know, in that kind of sense, that would be a push where they could use some of that that extra revenue nationally to reduce the uh, density of the season, maybe eliminate some of the games. I don't disagree that I think it would be helpful. I'm just not putting that much faith in ownership. <laughs> I think they will look at those opportunities not as a chance to offset losses right and say well we can give these games we can reduce these games because we can make that up with streaming revenue i think they'll look at that and say we can expand our profits off of the streaming revenue um but i don't i don't disagree with your premise i mean when you just look at the reams of injuries that have gone on and uh, Obviously, all the players matter. But, I mean, when you look at the star players, you know, I mean, you're looking at, yes, not just KD and Harden and LeBron and AD and Trey Young, but just across the board, what's going on. I agree with you that it would be helpful. I just don't have a lot of faith that that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right on that one. But So let's get back to the Nets. You know, remember way back when, uh, so long ago, oh, maybe it was two weeks ago, that we were talking about how the Nets had a glut at the big man positions. <laughs> you know, boy, did that situation kind of change. You know, LaMarcus Aldridge retired. Nick Claxton is on the COVID protocols. DeAndre Jordan is in and out of Steve Nash's doghouse you know, good reasons in my opinion. So my question to you is, you know, how do you think Nash should play this out when Jordan's been so unreliable, you know, when Claxton comes back? I personally, it's difficult for me to answer that because I want to know in Nash's mind, in his heart of hearts, how much trust does he have in Claxton to get every assignment down? in the playoffs because as you know young players tend to blow assignments more and in the playoffs where every single assignment matters coaches tend not to trust him as much when that happens but when i look at nick claxton play or at least when i looked at him play past tense before the arrival of lamarcus aldridge when he was on that white hot streak defensively and he was switching on the perimeter and not just dealing with small forwards, but actually switching onto all-star guards and playing representative defense against them. 
I think that would be vital in the playoffs to get him back to that level defensively. Now, it could just be my eye when LaMarcus came in and when Nick started losing minutes, he cooled off defensively. I don't know whether that was... Or the other teams could have a book on him now. and That is also possible. This is what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know whether that was his confidence. I don't know whether that was teams adjusting to him and learning him. I don't know. Um, I think the Nets would be well-suited to find out, though, <laughs> if possible before the playoffs start. Because, I mean, I think DeAndre is what DeAndre is. Right. I mean, just let's look at his lateral movement. It is what it is. It's not changing between now and May 16th. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the efforts have been like I always call them. I call them selective. There are games. Yes, where that's a fair see, statement. He's too. he's, you know, giving a little bit more. And there are games where he's not really giving enough, in my opinion. That is probably also fair. Um, now, Yes. Like I said, I've been impressed with what Blake has given them defensively. Um, his ability to be physical and actually his ability on occasion to get under player skin, as you saw with uh, DeAndre Ayton. Um, so I've been impressed with that. But, you know, Jeff Green, as much as I love Jeff Green, and I think he is a weapon as a small ball five, and he is switchable. He's also not a rim protector. Yeah, and, you, and you he is play, also not you, a rebounder. You got to play another big with him, right? You, you know, and he do, he works. He doesn't work as well with DeAndre as he does with, say, Claxton or or Blake. That is correct. So that is a tandem. Whether it's yeah, so you have Blake and Jeff, but a Jeff. Claxton tandem in the playoffs, that's useful. <laughs> when I, I, a Claxton playing well. Right. Well, with regard to Claxton and the whole COVID-19 protocols, I, I can't get any straight answers from anybody. So have you heard whether or not the Nets have had opportunities to do team-wide vaccinations and do you know if the league allows for relaxed protocols for those who've had the vaccine? You know, if you well, if you have a certain percentage of everybody that's vaccinated, then they can relax the protocols. But I do not know whether the Nets have reached that threshold. Yeah, I don't understand why they keep it such a secret. It should be something that they use, you know, in public health. Uh, the in the public one health would think. One would think. I like. I know the Celtics were close to that threshold, but just not quite at that threshold. They may, they may be now. They were not, I guess, when they came into town. So, yes, they do. That, that is a possibility, but I do not know that the Nets have reached that threshold yet. Oh, anyway, that's disappointing. Uh, I'm, I'm with Brian Lewis of the New York Post. I just have one more for you because I know you got to go. Um, I, I've been asking everyone about Kyrie Irving, and – I know you and every other reporter out there wishes, you know, they had better access this season, you know, more than a question or two in a zoom session, but you know, what are you, what is your takes takeaways from him with regard to how he come? I use the word compartmentalize, I guess all that goes on with him on and off the court, 
you know, we can, we all agree that, you know, when he plays, you know, outside of a couple, a couple of stinkers and maybe some of the few recently were due to, you know, his fasting, you know, he, he's been brilliant, you know, just, just an outstanding basketball player. You know, he's a complex guy though. So what are your thoughts based on whatever your reporting has allowed? Uh, well, let's try to bake that down. My thoughts on his play, my thoughts on how, well, how, how he manages it, you know, and that includes, you know, the absences, you know, the, you know, everything, everything that goes on around him. I mean, like I said, he's been able to do, you know, what he does on the court. You know, I don't think anyone can disagree, you know, that his numbers, you know, are as productive as he's ever been, just like KD. Oh, this might be a career year for him. I mean, in terms of his productivity and his efficiency. Um, I mean, there aren't too many guys that can flirt with, you know, 50, 40, 90, you know, and then average 25 points. <laughs> right? So yeah. this this could be his most effective and efficient season. Um. Now, again, looking at it through a selfish lens, when, and I will read you this line, or at least this is off of memory, so I shouldn't say read. It's not literally true. Off of memory, 34 points, 12 assists, six boards, zero quotes. <laughs> yes, we were all sitting there waiting. They usually have three people after the coach on Sunday and uh, kind of ended at two. Right. Uh, and that's not the first time that's happened. Um, there are times when Kyrie just, for whatever reason, chooses not to engage. Now, again, he's also fasting. So I don't know. Maybe he didn't, uh, maybe the man just had to eat. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I really don't. Um, but as far as his play, his play has been spectacular. And also, I should be fair, when he does talk with us and when he, he is engaging and interesting and never boring, never. I don't remember a single time when he spoke with us this year where I came away saying, boy, that was bland. Yes, he's very expansive. Right. You know. um, so I, I guess you have to take it all, the good with the bad, and say this is a unique individual. Um, this is a complex guy. I mean, I guess you wish this, you know, you, you you wish you can hear the words, the locker room is open. <laughs> Am I right? right? Well, that's the difference. I mean, listen, there are far, far, far more important things to connect with COVID and this pandemic that we've gone through and are going through than lack of access, <laughs> right? So I can't sit here and complain about that. I will just say that it is a different way to cover things than what we are used to, where you would be on the road, whatever, after a practice in Minneapolis or after a shoot around in Phoenix. And you would, or in, you know, in training camp, 
and you would develop relationships with players. Um, but that's not happening this year because you're not developing relationships for the most part over a Zoom call with 30 other people. Right. It's a different, it's a different situation. Well, Brian uh, Joseph- I would suspect that we would know him a little better next season than we really do this season. Yeah, we could hope. Brian Lewis, you do a great job with you know with what they give you. And I can't thank you enough for giving me some time today. Uh, I, I hope to see you at Barclays Center soon. They're on the road for like forever, and I'm gonna miss Friday. So hopefully, you know, after that. So anyway, thank you very much and uh, stay well. Thank you. You stay well. So thanks again, uh, Brian Lewis of the New York Post. Like I promised, you know, he's a real straight shooter. Always great talking to him. And it's been my pleasure to talk you through another episode of the City Game Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Again, I'd appreciate it if you could subscribe to this podcast on Odyssey, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're downloading these episodes. Also, please feel free to post some nice comments on Apple Podcasts if you get a chance. So until next time, I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFN.com saying thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast.